Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today's episode is about going fast, going hard, pushing limits, and the collective voice that called a family to adventure. Our guest is Michelle Spezia, who is here to represent her family and Elysium Racing, their race team with an inspired goal to pave the way for themselves and others on a newly forming international stage in electric motorsport. Michelle, AKA the general manager of the universe, according to her website, is the how and the when behind her mission. And her son, who is 17, Ellis, and the team's driver is the what and the why. Fueled by Ellis's childhood obsession with anything with wheels, in 2020, the Spezia family sold their house and their car in New Jersey and headed to Europe to follow a dream. To quote their website, we like our plates full, we'll sleep when we're dead, and would spend our last $5 on the best meal in town. I am so excited to dig deeper on this. Coming to us from Dusseldorf, Germany, Michelle, welcome to the campfire. Hi, thank you for having me. Super excited. I am so excited. This is such a cool story. Michelle, let's just start with you. If you were meeting somebody for the first time, how would you introduce yourself? Well, um, general manager of the universe seems a bit egocentric, I think, straight <laughs> out the gate. Um, I <laughs> so I, I like to describe myself as a process architect and people person and human questioning everything. So Ooh, nice. I mean, I, I've definitely lived a number of lifetimes. I've been an educator. I've been a filmmaker. I've been a poet. Uh, I'm now the team principal of an electric racing team, but really at the heart of it for me, leadership and service are the two things that I'm super passionate about, no matter what context they're being applied in. I'm really good at organizing things. So I'm the girl that makes lists of lists, you know, and I, I really love the people part. So whatever we're doing in the world, you know, the opportunity to connect with people is kind of my bag. You had me at human questioning everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a start with why kind of Simon Sinek fanatic. So that's kind of like the the heat the the heat of it, the core of it, right? Is like start with why, question absolutely everything, uh, which maybe is part of how I ended up where I am at the moment. So <laughs> He's great. I love Simon Sinek. I love Start With Why. And I think maybe we're going to get into some of that why here um, mm -hmm. on this episode today. So for listeners, can you just give us a brief overview of what Elysium Racing is and what it's all about? Yeah. So Elysium Racing essentially is an electric motorsport brand uh, that represents kind of the, the coming together of social education and gaming all through the excitement of this brand new world of electric motorsport. It is uh, entirely inspired by my son, Ellis, who is our driver. He's 17 years old. 
We never would have thought that we would have ended up in motorsport as a couple of blue collar kids from New Jersey and New York, my husband and I, that was not on the list of things you do. Uh, but here we are, you know, uh, we like to go big or go home. We like to do things differently and kind of pave an untrodden path. So we developed Elysium Racing to not only be the kind of brand and business that surrounds Ellis as a driver, uh, but also a place where we can kind of lead initiatives to inspire other people to follow, follow this path. Yeah, and it's it's such a cool story, but I love how when when I asked you the question, you know, this is an electric motorsport brand, right? And so there's several elements to this. This isn't just about the racing and the race team, right? This is like but if you go to the the elysium.co website, which is fantastic, you know, it's all it's very clear that for Ellis this is his passion and it's all about the racing for him. But for you guys, for you and your husband, like it's, it's, it's about course about him, but also about like building the brand and the business as well. So it's like his piece is just to do what he loves. And your piece is sort of the shell around that. I wonder like, well, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit more, but I just, I guess I wonder if you could kind of touch on those two different aspects of this, because it's, it's more than just him as a race car driver. For sure. Right. I mean, we're nowhere if his butt is not in a seat of something going fast. Right. So it always has to start there. And that's been a huge learning curve on our part because we're not motorsport people. So that's definitely been the biggest learning curve in this. But then I think it's just my husband and my husband, Francesco, and I are project people. It's always a project, whether it was renovating a house, starting a new business, moving to a new place like it's just who we are. I think it's like our power couple vibe. It was just obvious to me that if we were going to do this and if we were going full in, which is kind of the only way we go, that for Ellis and for us as a family, we needed to just combine forces and bring together all of the skills and experiences we'd amassed over 20 years doing other stuff and be like, okay, how does this apply now to having a race team? How does it apply to having an electric race team, which is something brand new? Uh, And how does everybody kind of get their piece of waking up in the morning and still enjoying what they're doing? Even though, you know, we like to say we're on Ellis's ride. You know, my husband has always said he thought he was the main character in this story until a few years ago when he realized (laughs) like he's a side quest. Um, But yeah, we've just each brought kind of our skills together to build this new life around what motorsport is because it really does require all of you and when you're only 17 it then also requires your parents um and i know it won't be that way forever for ellis he will grow up and evolve and mature and move on and be employed by teams or manufacturers but for now you know this is the family business which for us is an evolution you know we had a tech startup before we had a film company before that so family business is just kind of our jam and this is yeah. this is the newest iteration of that yeah so okay what i what was so cool about this like i almost feel like we're we're going to pack 3 episodes into one here because <laughs> there's 3 of you in this family right and this this podcast is about this voice inside that calls us to adventure and then listening to that voice, taking action and going and pursuing your dream. And so there's three of you involved in this story. And so each of you has your own voice that ultimately kind of rolls up to this collective voice that you guys came together and said, yes, we're doing this. And I think we'll get into that. 
2020, sold your home, sold your car, left for Europe. I want to hear all about that. But I wonder if you could just tell us just real briefly about each one of you as the representative of the family. Like, what was that voice like for you? What was it like for your husband? What was it like for Ellis? So for me personally, you know, I, I lived in a couple places as a kid. I grew up in New Jersey and moved to Florida with my family in high school. I graduated high school early, went to college while I was in high school, moved out at 16 years old and was like, mm. I'm going, I'm out into the world. I'm off. Uh, moved back to New York to go to university, you know, was working full time, was going to school full time. I have always been like maximum type yeah. A go getter attitude for better or for worse, right? Yep. Sometimes to a fault. Um, so that was always kind of me. And my dream, like when I was 16, 17, 18, kind of finding my way in the world, I was studying comparative religion and poetry at New York University. And I wanted to graduate, go to the Peace Corps and literally live like barefoot in a third world country with some elephants. Like this was my, this was it for me. Love it. Instead, uh, I was waiting tables in New York City and I met Francesco, who was working at the Union Square Farmer's Market selling tomatoes <laughs> and, and carrying a camera in his hand. And like, you know, they say like, yada, 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 20 years later, here we are. So I was always a person that was not afraid to just like pack it up and go and try something new. And then I met him and I graduated university and we packed it up and went and we moved to Austin, Texas. Why? I don't know. We thought that would be fun. From there, packed it up and moved to Florida. Why? I don't know. Got a cool job offer. Let's go try that. You know, ditched our corporate jobs and started a film company, ditched that and started a tech startup years later. So like together, we, Francesco and I have always been people who... I won't drop an F-bomb on your podcast, but it's like, <laughs> we say Fildy, F it, let's do it, yeah, right? And yeah. as long as he doesn't think I'm crazy and I don't think he's crazy and we just gut check ourselves enough to be like, well, what's the worst case scenario here? I don't know, let's just go for it. You know, it's really never led us astray. So then I think when you're those people, you either then have a child who is averse, you know, like we're entrepreneurs and artists. So then you yep. have a child who wants to be an accountant, right? Yep. Or a librarian or something, yep. or you have a kid that kind of follows suit. And I think that the two of us being this way and kind of growing together was just the universe preparing us for Ellis because he just takes it to a whole nother <laughs> level. You know, I mean, the kid blasted into the world two and a half weeks early was like doing parkour when he was four or five, you know, absolutely fearless and charismatic and just on a mission as a human. So I think it, I think our whole experience together just prepared us for who Ellis was meant to become so that we were going to be able to like hang on to the ride. This makes complete sense. So can you tell <laughs> us a little bit about the beginnings of his passion and, you know, this obsession with anything on wheels? Yeah. I mean, the, the car thing was always there, you know, when he was, he was born in 2005. So two, three, four years old, the cars movie was out. It was always hot wheels. It was always, you know, pushing the little matchbox cars around the house. We weren't car people. I wasn't into cars. My husband wasn't into cars. He was a filmmaker and liked basketball, you know, um, Ellis's grandfather, Francesco's husband was definitely the car guy, like never a racer, but into cars and talked about Pirelli tires and, you know, where the apex of the corner is. So that kind of got Ellis's juices flowing. 
But I mean, this kid could tell you, we would drive down the highway when he was three, four years old and he could tell you the make and model of every car on the road. So obsessed to another level that was completely outside and beyond either of us as parents. He then got a PlayStation or an Xbox rather and had like his first little simulator wheel, which was like strapped to a kitchen stool in his bedroom. And then that was it. His grandfather taught him how to drive five speed on that and he was off and running. So, you know, at that time he was, I don't know, nine or 10 years old. And you're like, oh, that's cute. You like to drive cars in your bedroom. Awesome. Then he started going to the indoor cart center near the house, you know, in the shopping mall, just like anybody goes out for fun at a birthday party or on the weekend to drive a go-kart. Except this kid was like setting lap records, you know, and the guys there were like, where did he learn how to drive like that? I said, well, not from me, you know, I have no idea. And that's when it kind of started when it was like, oh, maybe this is more than a phase. Maybe this is more than just an interest. And then it was like, well, now what do we do? Because I have no idea, like race car driver is not even in the realm of reality for people like us. So now what? Hey, everyone, it's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your referrals. Yeah, well, so, I mean, I totally feel this story now. You said you guys have essentially been like, you know, up and ready for adventure. I mean, I'm going to go to the Peace Corps, then I'm moving to Austin, then I'm moving to Florida. I mean, like, I'm ready. Let's go. So I guess I'm curious how like his his passion developed into inspiration for you to take it to the next level. And then let's go to 2020. Yeah. So leading up to 2020, I had become a full-time teacher and then the middle school director at Ellis's Montessori school. We'd been involved in this community for many years. I was asked to kind of build and develop their middle school program with Ellis and his like crew of little friends as now as my students. So that experience of kind of building what a new look at education could be like for middle schoolers, which they're fascinating creatures. I don't know. I think it inspired or opened my eyes to like what could be in the world or like, it's kind of like human 2.0, right? Like what is the next generation? How are these kids going to be and function and become in such a crazy unpredictable world. So I was doing that. I was super passionate. It's probably out of all the things I've ever done, the most rewarding work I've ever done. So I was loving it. But the plan was like, Ellis was going to graduate eighth grade. He was probably going to homeschool or go to some very non-traditional high school experience. We were going to buy a house in the Catskills and I was going to sit around the campfire on the weekends. Like I was like, great. It might not be a third world country, but the cat skills with the fall foliage and the campfire is like next best thing for me. That was the plan. He started to get more into racing. He joined a league where he was racing again in the shopping mall in these carts and he won this league. 
I was like, oh, cool. That took him to a national competition where he did okay. I think he finished 10th or 12th or something. But in doing that, it really was the wake up that, okay, this is something bigger. This is going to require more. And he really wants this. So we better figure out a plan. In 2019, actually, we went to Spain for a one weekend event. I was like, okay, low commitment. This is two weekends of our life. Go to Spain and do a practice weekend, fly back the next month and do a race. So that was kind of like dipping our toe into the pool. Um, And so my husband took him over to Spain. We took the general manager of the indoor cart center with us as our mechanic and coach because we had no idea what to do. So they went over there. They had a blast. He performed well. Okay, come back. Now we wake up, it's 2020, and Ellis is like, this is what I want to do. Okay. I start to do the research because as the general manager of the universe, I'm like the research queen. And I find that Rotax, which is like the world's biggest um, distributor and and manufacturer of go-karts, has an all-electric championship that's brand new and that's running in Germany. I'm like... F it. Let's do it. Let's go to Germany. Wow, yeah. We could only stay for 90 days because without a visa as an American citizen, you get 90 days a year in Europe. I said, okay, we go in. It kind of just squeaked in there that we could start and end the championship in this 90-day window. I start talking to my school of like, how I'm going to do this? Am I going to, you know, am I going to leave my job? What are we going to do? Bam, COVID hits. Now it's like, what, March of 2020, we're all learning at home. The whole school is shut down. Everybody's virtual lives completely turned upside down in an instant. And we still have these plans that we're going to Germany in July to race this race series. So in certain ways, we leveraged what was a terrible situation because now my job was fully remote. So all of a sudden I did not have this constraint of having to go to work. So we were like, okay, this actually just got a bit easier. Yeah. To our detriment, our film company, which mostly did live events and weddings, got turned off in a second. So that deck got cleared in a negative way, but it still opened up our time. And so we were like, okay, we're doing this. Again, we called up the general manager from the indoor cart center and we're like, hey, Peter, can you come with us? I think we're going to need some help. Peter says, yes, I can do it. And so we plan this adventure and like buy plane tickets and find an Airbnb. And like, we were just going to travel along where these five or six race weekends were all in Germany. Um, I mean, I had more paperwork and more, you know, letters and stamps and this dossier of information that was going to get us into Germany as, you know, um, like required or essential travel. Yeah. Off we went in July. There was nobody at the airport Everybody questioned why we were getting on a plane to go to Germany and how we thought we were going to get in when we get got there. Uh, and needless to say, when we did land in Hamburg, we were swiftly um, pulled aside by the border police, detained for six hours, and then kicked out of Germany. So that was how this whole thing started. This is a side story of persistence, though. When you know what you're going after and you know you're going to get it, can you can you sh- share a little bit more about that story? Because it's pretty epic. Yeah, I mean, we knew it was a crapshoot, right? We knew that getting on this airplane at all was like, I mean, we were already four months into COVID, right? And so you're watching yeah. all this unfold. And so 
the more that like the date got closer and closer and it was like, ah, is this really going to work? Is the series even going to happen? But when you think back to 2020, in a strange way, 2020 was actually less restrictive than 2021 ended up being for us. So in a, there, were, there weren't enough rules. So in some ways, everything was kind of ambiguous. So, yes. I mean, the Germans hate that. The Germans hate that more than anybody else. The Americans, this is what we do, right? We bend the rules until they're going to break. So we get off this plane. We get detained by border police. They're like, why do you think you are coming in here to go race go-karts, right? If it had been Spain or Italy or anybody else that cares yeah. about motorsport, I think it would have been different. But they were like, piloto? Like, no, we do not care that you are a racing driver. We do not care that this is the only place in the world that you can do this electric racing right now. So they wanted to kick us out and send us home. We don't give up that easily. So my husband and I... <laughs> kind of in a telepathic sense, like when you've been together two decades, you can yeah. kind of sort each other out. So we said to them, look, well, can we book the flights? I've got miles, I've got this. We can't, can't spend all this money to go back home. So what we did was we booked our trip home in two legs from Germany to the UK and from the UK home to the United States in two separate flights. And we did that because we knew that meant we could fly to London and get off the plane but we needed to book it in two legs so that all of our luggage would get off yep. with us. Right. We also knew that in that moment, the UK was still entertaining Americans. So we thought we could kind of hang out there. So we ditched to the UK. We holed up in a hotel there for four or five nights and then said, okay, no more airplanes, no more passport control. And so we took the Eurostar. We got on the train and took the Eurostar through France back into Germany got stopped by border patrol again at the French side, but we're like, well, we're not going to France, we're going to Germany. And they're like, okay, stamp the thing, off you go. Uh, and so we got in and it, I mean, so it took 10 more days than we expected it to, but then we were in. I'm like, that's it, we're in, we did it. We're never getting on an airplane until it's time to go home. Like we're gonna stay under the radar, but we made it. And then, then we were off for our first a competitive championship in Germany in 2020. Can we talk about that for just a second? I mean, the, the persistence, like, you know, again, when you have this call to adventure, there's often like resistance, whether it's like internal fear and doubt. And you had that and you're like, well, is this the right time? But like yeah. you went anyway, and then you got hit with some stuff that would really have shut people, most people down, but there had to have been some kind of knowing there had to have been some kind of knowing that said, no, we're going to keep doing, we're going to keep at this. And I wonder if you could just talk about that knowing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I always talk about parent goggles. Like you've got the parent goggles on and everybody thinks their kid is just the best, the yeah. best thing at whatever, you know, the best ballerina, the best soccer yeah. player, the best racing driver, the best badminton player. I don't know. You know, like whatever, whatever your kid is into, they are just the best. So there is a part of it that is just parent eyes of like, okay. I believe in my child then there's the piece of, that as a parent that you see how badly they want something and it makes you realize like, okay, I'm not justifying, but you see these people who are like paying for their kids SAT scores and stuff like yep. you, you understand the yep. kind of psychotic break that would make a parent go to such an end to try to help their child achieve something. So there was just that part of it. 
Um, part of it was a bit of a challenge. And I think we like a challenge of like, okay, you tell me I can't come in, watch me, you know? So part of it was like the, the challenge of the barriers in themselves. And again, we just, we've lived a whole life of just doing it. So this really was no different of like, if we're, if we're going to do this, if my kid really thinks he's going to be a professional racing driver, this is the only way. This is the only way for us. I'm a human that questions everything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And sometimes the question is, why the heck am I doing this? Am I out of my mind? I mean, that question does exist, right? Like, yeah. am I crazy? Am I delirious? What I want to talk about that. Because there is a gut you, check element. I want to talk about that because a little bit <laughs> earlier you mentioned the word like crazy. You just said out of my mind, am I delirious? And when you and I talked the first time around, you told me when we were kind of preparing for our call today, you said we have a long history of doing things when everyone else thinks we're crazy. And I just wonder, like, first of all, where did this whole thing come from? This whole like, you know, everybody thinks we're crazy. And, and then it's a follow-up question to that is, why aren't more people crazy? I don't know. I don't know where I read it, but a long time ago, I read that there's this concept of like once-borns and twice-borns people, right? And both types of people are great. The world needs both types of people. But like once-born people are people who like get up in the morning, they want to have a steady job, they want to like go out with their friends on the weekend, and it's like status quo. Yeah. And then the twice-born people are like, nope got to turn the volume up a little more. So I think we're, we're definitely in that category. I think when you meet a partner or a spouse who is then also like that, it just, again, like turns up the volume yeah. um, or at least validates your own crazy line of thinking into being fairly practical. My husband and I have always said like, we're outliers. We're outliers in our own families. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you become that or you simply are that, you know, it's like nature, nurture, like Ellis came into the world the way he is like, yes, there's like a nurture part of who we are as a family, but mm -hmm. this is Ellis. Um, so I, I have to assume that maybe we're just the same. My husband and I, as yeah. people, like, this is just how you're built. I mean, yeah. for me, like as a child, I always used like, my education and my pursuit of education to, I don't want to say get out of my childhood situation, but I, I knew I wanted more. I wanted better. I wanted something different. So maybe something like that is always like the catalyst. And then yeah. once you do it once, it just gets a bit easier to do again. Oh, I love that. Once you do it once, it gets easier to do it again. So I, I guess what I'm wondering is, is it crazy or is it just like a passionate, enthusiastic zeal for life? I, it depends on who you ask, I guess. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, there are days where I'm like, what again? Like, what are we doing? This is insane. I'm exhausted. I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know how we're going to keep doing it. Am I ruining my child's life or am I giving him the best life? Are we ruining our own lives? Like, look at how many more gray hairs I have than I had a couple of years ago. You know, like all those same questions that every human being has about like doubt and imposter syndrome and fear, like it's all there. And I think that's healthy. You know, like we're, I think, and Ellis always talks about it in racing. Like there's a big difference between 
recklessness and like controlled risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we pushed the limit on controlled risk. It's, it's impressive. I love it. I love <laughs> I love your enthusiasm. Um, I want, I mean, I could talk about this for, for hours, um, but I, I want to pivot into like just some of the logistics of, of all of this. I just, I wonder if we could talk a little bit like for you guys, I mean, like financially, how you were able to do this. Like there's an education piece. Your son was 15 in 2020. He's now 17. Like how did, how did some of the logistics of this move work for you guys? Like just practically speaking. Yeah. Um, the education one's a little easier and um, less sensitive to tackle. So we could start there. Right. I, I don't anymore, but there was a good period of time where I would wake up out of a sound sleep at like three o'clock in the morning and be like, my child has an eighth grade education. You know, like (laughs) he, he went to school through the eighth grade and he has not been in a formal educational environment since he is now, he would be a senior in high school this year. So again, part of that is that I was an educator and worked in a very unique, very progressive Montessori project-based learning school where learning by doing, learning by failing, um, you know, hacking the system, all of those things were our kind of core values. And so they were my core values as a parent as well. I think I'm also fortunate that I have a child a young adult. I mean, he is a voracious and avid learner. You know, I say all the time, he's a student of the sport. Like he, it's not just get behind the wheel and drive fast. It's electrical engineering and tire physics and chemical compounds of different rubber. And like he, I don't worry about him. You know, when he shows me his YouTube playlist and it's everything from like Schrodinger's cat to like, you know, quantum mechanics to, you know, the, the maximum apex of the new Pirelli tires in F1. I'm like, you're good. You will be good. <laughs> but it takes a lot of faith yeah. and it takes a lot of trust that that's going to be okay for him. Cause he might not always be a racing driver. And even if he is, he needs to be an intelligent, you know, thinking human. So the education piece is that after he graduated the eighth grade, we decided I homeschooled him like the first year, his freshman year of high school, I would say was the most structured year. We definitely had like a curriculum. We were working on certain things. And then he kind of showed me like, take the training wheels off mom. Like I've, I've got this. So it takes a lot of trust. I mean, it takes a lot of trust to put your kid in a car that goes like 215 kilometers an hour, but I, I trust him. And the more he matures, the more I see that, he's going to be fine in the world, um, given what the world is at the moment and all of the ways in people are all of the ways in which people are educating themselves and their children. So it takes a lot of faith. I, every once in a while still have the 3am wake up of like, Oh my gosh, what have I done? Is this going to, is this going to just, you know, flip over on us at some point, but that's the education piece. Yeah. Um, the financial piece doesn't matter what your industry is. This is like the, dirty secret. Like nobody wants to talk about this, right? Motorsport is an incredibly expensive sport. I'm like, kid, could you have not wanted to like play tennis? And I could have bought you a new pair of Nikes every couple months uh, and a tennis racket, but motorsport is incredibly expensive. Now that I'm in the sport, I understand why a bit more. I mean, you're dealing with the latest technological innovations, you know, these race cars that can cost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, 
teams of people, sometimes, you know, 20, 30, 40 people on a team to come together to make something happen. So I understand the cost. What I did not understand uh, as a mom of a racing driver is that in racing, and this is something most people don't know, until you are at the absolute pinnacle of the sport, if you're a Formula One driver or a NASCAR driver or, you know, Formula E driver, until you are at that level, those drivers get paid to race. That's their job. They're hired by Mercedes or Porsche or whatever their team is. They have a salary, just like everybody else. Up until that point, drivers pay to race. So mm -hmm. if you are going to put your rear end in a seat that you are going to drive, you are responsible to pay, essentially to hire the team to drive for the season. This was news to me. <laughs> Maybe that would have put a little dent in my Better armor. that you back. didn't know, right? Yeah, back in the like, should we do this thing? Yeah. So racing is incredibly expensive. I mean, the, the top, as a, as a reference, the top drivers in go-karts in Europe, if you're a top European driver in a go-kart, you could easily spend six figures in a year. You could spend $150,000 a year to drive a go-kart. Yeah. And that's not travel and that's not tires. And that's not when you crash that thing into the wall, you also pay for that. So it's crazy expensive. I'm glad we didn't really understand the depth or scope sure. of that when we got started. That being said, we have done this in the most kind of economical hack your way through possible. Electric motorsport as a whole is more economical. I will not say it is cheap because it is not, but the series organizations own the vehicles, so you don't have to own your own vehicle. You don't have to transport your vehicle. You don't have to have the engineers, the mechanics, transport your tires, et cetera. Like you show up with a suit and helmet and you participate in the series. So that has been one element to lower the cost. We've just decided that being the underdog is awesome. And we've driven with the cheapest teams, the smallest teams, you know, Ellis will be the first one to be under the car, you know, changing a tire or pushing it into the pit lane when it breaks down. But that being said, you know, we, we gave up everything. I sold my car and put $9,000 in the bank when I sold my Subaru back in Hoboken, New Jersey. I emptied out Ellis's college account. I was like, well, this essentially is like school of life. So that goes in the bucket. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't, own anything now. I don't own a house. I don't own a car. We don't go on vacation. Like every single dollar that is available from continuing to run our film company, which is still our kind of main source of income, um, goes in the racing bucket. You know, we're, we're just starting to kind of get into that phase where we can get some sponsors and some partners. We're launching educational initiatives, kind of taking my passions and Ellis's passions and putting them together for something that can generate revenue. But the bottom line is that this is crazy expensive. Yeah, it makes total sense. But I mean, it's incredibly inspiring. I mean, this is like the epitome of all in, right? I mean, you guys have taken not just your financial resources, but like everything that you guys have done. You talked about you and your husband, like pooling essentially all of your life experiences up to this point to make a run at this thing. And it seems to be working really, really well for you guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it is working really well. And I think the way that we're doing it, I always say like, you know, now we have kind of this like young group of 
go-kart drivers and people who are kind of inspired by what mm -hmm. Ellis has done and the path he's chosen to go with electric. And we're figuring out the best way to kind of help provide resources and information for those people so that they're not redoing all the work that we've already done. But I'm always like, it's like those, it's like those commercials on TV, like results, not typical, you know, like <laughs> I, I don't want you to think that exactly this will happen for you. Um, and I don't want people to think it's easy for us. And it's still super uncertain. I mean, we don't know what we're driving next year. We don't know where we will get the budget to drive whatever the thing is. You know, it's there. I don't think there are many people who are willing to live, live in the state that we live in, whether it's our logistical state and our practical state, our lifestyle, but also kind of the state of uncertainty of what what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or in a month from now. Well, it's incredibly inspiring. You guys are just, you're just getting after it, right? Rather than ask yeah. what if, like, we'll go find out. And I just think that's, that's awesome. I really want to spend just a few minutes for listeners, like including myself that really don't understand the world that you live in, in terms of like motorsport and, and, and particularly the, the electric motorsport, because yeah. this is kind of new and evolving. Could you just kind of, Walk us through a little bit about this category that you guys are in and, and kind of, you know, just help paint the picture of what it is that, that's happening in your life. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, the, the, the two examples I usually use are NASCAR and Formula One because right. most people have an un, at least an understanding of what those two things are. You know, right. I was never a motorsport person, but I knew what NASCAR was, right? If you're European, you know what Formula One is. Right. Now the Americans know what Formula One is too because of Drive to Survive. So that's good. That is the absolute top pinnacle of motorsport. Then below that, and the, those two things are combustion, right? So they're your normal petrol combustion engines. This is the way motorsport has always been. And so then there's kind of this entire ladder that leads up to that. You know, it's like a, it's like a food pyramid. You know, at the bottom, you've got... Typically, you start in go-kart racing, and then maybe you move to a club racing car, and then maybe you move to a semi-pro, and then you go pro, and, you know, you just keep getting through the ranks. And obviously, mm -hmm. the people who make it are, the you know, it kind of lessens, lessens, lessens to the top. I mean, in Formula One, you have 22 drivers in the whole world who are Formula One drivers. All of them, I won't even say most of them, all of them are legacy motorsport names. So, I mean, you know, my father was an F1 driver. My uncle owns the, the shop, you know, yeah. so-and-so is a billionaire who's like yeah. the money behind Mercedes, legacy names. So for the first time in 60 years, maybe, motorsport is getting a makeover and it's all due to technology. So, I mean, obviously like the buzzwords today are sustainability and environmentalism and climate action, um, which from a technology standpoint is the electrification of everything. Yeah. There's also hydrogen, sustainable fuels. Like there's really, really cool things happening on the innovation side in motorsport, which is where innovation has always come from. Like the reason you have a seatbelt and a GPS is because of motorsport. Like those things were always developed there and then brought in to the greater world. So that innovation is now happening in motorsport in the form of electrification, electric powertrains, et cetera. So there's this really unique opportunity in time to hop in and kind of be at the forefront of helping this 
new era develop. And so for Ellis at 16, 17 years old, I mean, this is like, you know, it's like worlds colliding. It's yeah, like it's right awesome. place, perfect storm, right place, right time, right age, the whole thing. So for us, you know, part of the reason we chose electric motorsport is because I don't have to own a vehicle. I don't have to be a mechanic, partly because we're tech folks, right? So to me, it only made sense of why, why wouldn't I go to the forefront of innovation in what's happening in this sport? And there's just a unique opportunity to be the first. There is no legacy name there. There are no generational families of wealth who are occupying this space. So we're going to get there first. So that's kind of what took us to electric motorsport. The challenge being you have Formula E, which is kind of the electric version of Formula One. It's yep. been around for 10 years. This is their 10th season. You now have like Extreme E, which is like off-road vehicles. There's some rally cross that's electric, but all of these series are super top level. So all of the drivers in them are just, I mean, we hate to say it out loud, but it's like the retirement home for XF1 drivers. Like if you couldn't make it or you did make it and you're ready to retire, that's where they're finding these drivers. So for us, we're now kind of pushing the limit on building this ladder. So like Ellis participated for two years in electric karting. They were the first series ever of their kind. So the first time the competitions had ever been run, he was there, he was in them. He was developing the prototype versions of these carts and learning about the powertrains and refining them, which is just a unique opportunity. So we've driven some electric formula cars, um, which were meant to have a series and never did, couldn't get it off the ground. And this year we drove, or he drove, electric Mini Coopers. So again, first series of its kind, first junior championship in the world to run a full electric touring car series. So we're kind of building the bridge as we walk it um, in this space and just, you know, absolutely taking advantage of any opportunity that opens up um, in the electric space. Yeah, you guys are definitely at the forefront clearing the path. Yes. And I just wanna I just wanna reflect back because earlier you said we're not motor speak. You said <laughs> we're not more motorsport people. Well, guess what? You are now. Well, we are now. I know. I always have to, I'm like. Now we are. We now are we're now. definitely motorsport family. Yeah. Yeah. And he's had a lot of successes along the way. I mean, it's been a pretty short period of time, but you know, there's been, um, he's had a lot of wins. Um, I wonder if you can kind of talk about that progression. Yeah. I mean, again, when your kid is driving around in circles in the shopping mall, it's like, oh, look at him go. He's so yeah. amazing, right? He's the fastest. He's setting records, right? I mean, I you would have thought the kid was Mario Andretti parent goggles. Yeah. And it's the parent goggles that are then like, oh, sure, let's get on a plane and go to Europe for three months and compete against some of the best drivers in the world. So like we show up in Germany in this electric cart championship and any, again, any of the drivers coming in are from combustion and have been racing since they were four years old and their dads are XF1 drivers. Yeah. We got our butts kicked. I mean, the first year, there are many trophies behind me now. As I explained before, this is a yeah. new bookcase because the one in the other room is full. It was not this way. I mean, our first year, we were back markers. Like Ellis, the whole, it was like, don't finish last. That would be a win. Do yeah. not finish last. Yeah. There were times where he would sit and pout behind our camper van because he was just destroyed over the fact that he thought coming in, he was going to be amazing. 
and he got an adjustment. Um, and that was 2020. And so then 2021 was like, all right, are you willing to go and are you willing to step in the fire again? Like, are we going back in or are you going back to the shopping mall? And he was like, oh no, we're, we're going back in. And in 2021, when we came back at the beginning of the year, he had definitely leveled up. Like now we were kind of competing in the midfield, which is anywhere from third to 10th place. And this was a huge, this was like huge for us. And by the middle of 2021, I think it was July of 2021, he won his first kart race. We were in Molson, Germany. I mean, it, it was epic. He like started in ninth place and got to sixth place. And then in the second race of the day, started in sixth place moved up to second by the first lap and then like carried this entire race and won it by a mile. Awesome. And it was, I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. And so a very good mentor that he has said to him, like, once you learn how to win and understand the feeling of winning, you just like I said before, right? Like once you do this once, you can make it repeatable. And then that was kind of it. After that kind of inflection point, he was on the podium and on the podium and on the podium. And then we switched to cars, which I think was just more, he had more natural ability in the car than the cart. And we walked into 2022 and he was on the podium every single weekend. Okay. So like, it wasn't always this way and it's still not, you know, you have weekends that are absolutely amazing. And then you have weekends where you think, oh my gosh, this is just the worst thing ever is horrible. Yeah. But I think he learned how to win and kind of tap into what that is. And and now he's been pretty consistent, which is yeah, it's amazing. Incredible. I yeah, mean, it's, it's, it's yes, it's fueled by electricity, but it, this whole thing is fueled by passion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is, what, is yeah. what I'm feeling. So Definitely. so speaking of that, um, you know, this was a family decision to follow his passion. But, you know, I can see it in your face and I can tell like there's the energy that comes through your website and just this whole thing. You know, on the surface, you could look at this and say, like, this is a mom and dad that are just like backing your, their son's passion. But I, my sense is that you're having the time of your life and that this isn't just like a mom sacrificing for her son. I'm I'm not getting yeah. that sense. And I just wonder if you could talk about how this thing is fueling you. Yeah. I mean, we see a lot of, you see a lot of it in, I think you see a lot of it in motorsport because it's legacy. Like dad did it, granddad yeah. did it, mom did it. Like, yeah. It's what you're expected to do. So Ellis doesn't have that pressure at all. I mean, I love this. I definitely love this lifestyle now and I'm super competitive. So watching him drive is a great joy for me, but we are holding on for dear life on this ride, right? It's like, I am, I'm doing everything I can to keep up with Ellis's ability to push forward, but I get a lot out of it. You know, it's like, I, a number of years ago when we were running our startup, we had this, like, we had mindful Mondays, which were born out of kind of Simon Sinek, start with why. Yeah. And we had this whole thing around big five for life where you had to create the big five list of things, kind of like your bucket list. Yeah. And living abroad and learning a new language and traveling and service, like all, there's so many things on what was my personal list that have gotten ticked right off being in this life. And I never thought that this is the context that it would articulate itself in, but here we are. So, I mean, I'm, I, I miss being in a classroom and being a teacher. We're about to solve that challenge because I'm going to go back to doing educational stuff through motorsport with Ellis. Yes. But this life is 
It's awesome. It's exhausting and tiring and uncertain and often has many disappointments and frustrations, but it's, I mean, it's super cool. Yeah. And so I guess I just kind of want to reflect back because I love like, I mean, this was like so fueled by passion. You guys just like you said, we're just we're doing this like you had this adventure spirit. You're kind of like not really paying too much attention to the what ifs and getting caught up in the in the fear. I know it was there, but you just, you know, you went and you did it. And in the process, like you didn't know that like motorsport was going to be kind of the medium. But this thing that you were just like willing to show up for ultimately delivered your your big five yeah <laughs> like yeah. you're living the life you wanted to live and you you know it wasn't like really intentional you just sort of showed up and you got what you asked for yeah i mean it's kind of it's it's always like beautiful and messy in that way right um and i am careful as a parent and especially ellis is 17 he'll be 18 in a in about a month you know like it will shift and it will change like i'm very conscious and aware that we're in a kind of beautiful pocket of time. I'm super thankful that I have the kind of access that I have to my 17 year old, like, and that he seems pretty okay with that. I mean, he's holed up in his bedroom often when we are not stuck on the road together, uh, like any normal teenager would be, but in that little blurb on our website, right? Like we're, we're, we're a party of three, right? And we're trying to do big things and not sweat the small stuff. Like, this is a cool window of time. And I don't know where we'll be in five years. And I'll probably look back and say, wow, I can't believe we were doing that. And now we're doing this next thing. There is a next chapter for my husband and I. I know there is. I hope it involves me like sitting back and sipping a cocktail and watching from <laughs> afar as Ellis races and not having to like necessarily be in the trenches 150% of the time uh, and kind of watching him evolve as a person in this sport. But yeah, but right now, like, this is it. This is all of it. And I couldn't be happier. Michelle, I don't see you as somebody that's going to sit back and watch. <laughs> me a minute, a minute for a minute. Then I'll be like, great. Now what do we do? I don't see it. So no. I want to use your words. Um, I want to ask you for advice for those people that aren't crazy. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but maybe they kind of want to be crazy. You know, maybe there's people that have big dreams, but they've kind of been afraid to act on it. What advice would you have for those people that, that maybe like are inspired by your crazy and would like to get a little bit crazy? If you'd like a cup of my crazy, um, <laughs> I've got spares. No, I, you know, I, I always say, and I say my, my own podcast is kind of built on this concept. Life is good. Life is hard. These two truths are unrelated right? Like you have to be able to hold these two things at the same time. Like this stuff is really good, but it's going to be really difficult most of the time. Uh, and if you're kind of willing to go in it that way, you know, I'm always like, what, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, what's, and I'm, I'm not an impractical person, you know, of, of my husband and I, he is the dreamer. I am the doer. So I'm always the one kind of gut checking making sure the logistics and practicalities add up. And, you know, the first one to be like, how are we going to pay for this? I don't know though. Like this is, this is it. Like experience is all you have good, bad, indifferent. So why not? I love it. So Michelle Elysium racing is a brand. 
Um, and there's so many things that you guys are doing. If people want to find out more about you guys and the brand and what you're doing, what's the best way among all the different ways or what, what are some of the ways that, that people can find out more about y'all? Yeah. I mean, the website is definitely, I know that's a bit old school. Um, the young kids aren't going to my website, but the website is definitely like the central place to then kind of choose your own adventure of what interests you, of what we're doing. So Elysium.co is our website. From there, you can get to my podcast. We do a video blog series once a month about our kind of off-track adventures. All of Ellis's media is there. Um, Instagram is pretty much his kind of main portal for content and, you know, what's going on on track for us. But yeah, that's, you know, all of our educational programming, sustainability, metaverse, like you name it, that's kind of the main spot that'll get you to where you might want to go. Yeah. And, and I will just, I just plug like you guys have a history and technology and production and film and what you guys have put out there, like on the website, it is awesome. It's really cool. good content. It's beautiful. So Thank you said you. that the website is old school, but it is not. So I encourage people <laughs> to go check it out. You've got great content on there. It's um, your, the energy comes across in there. So I definitely encourage people to, to check that out. Awesome. Um, so listen, you guys are, are living this incredibly inspired life. And at some point, the folks in Hollywood are going to hear about your story and they're going to want to make a movie about your family and Elysium racing. And I'm just curious who are going to be the, the players, who's going to be the actors that are going to play you guys in this movie. I mean, this question is kind of hilarious because it's been a recurring topic of conversation for at least the past three years. I mean, every time we're home with friends or family or like, sitting around the campfire when we are at the bar, like this is the conversation. First of all, when the heck is Netflix going to call? Because we are so ready, <laughs> right? We are ready. Love it. And then like, right, if this is a docudrama, who, who is playing us? Yeah. So, um, you know, oh gosh, I always struggle with myself of like, who's going to play me. Yeah. Um, a number of friends have had, you know, Mira Sorvino comes Ooh, up. Nice. Um, Ellis is always Ellis. I'm like, okay, Adam Driver is gonna Adam Driver or Keanu Reeves are gonna oh, be future man. Ellis. Yeah, so it kind totally. of depends on like I love that so much. What's, what's the POV of this story? Oh We're like, okay, gosh, yeah. Adam Driver could be future Ellis, totally. like looking back on himself. You know? Totally. Oh, yeah. I can see that. That's amazing. What about your yeah. husband? That's a tough one. I actually don't know who would play Frank. I'm gonna have to ask him. I'm going to have to, my, my best friend is usually the one who's got all the answers here, but. Uh, I mean, this is a cast that's coming together. Mira Servino and Adam Driver. I mean, Benicio Del Toro. He's a favorite of mine. Oh, <laughs> this is an all-star cast. Benicio Del Toro. <laughs> Mira Servino, Benicio Del Toro, and Adam Driver as Ellis. <laughs> this is unbelievable. What's the movie going to be called? Oh, hundred percent. It's called The Age of Light. That I mean, our our whole thing from day one is that this is the Age of Light tour. I just got yeah. chills. Like this is this is it's going to happen. It's totally it's, happening. It's it's totally going to happen. I love this cast. <laughs> I love the title. 
it's going to be an incredible movie. Michelle, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me today. This has been so much fun. I'm so excited for you guys um, and, and everything that's going on for you. Elysium Racing, Ellis, you know, wish you guys the best of luck and I hope you'll continue to keep us posted on progress. For those that are listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope the Elysium story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It was amazing.